0: It's time for Supply Chain Now, broadcasting live from the supply chain capital of the country, Atlanta, Georgia. Heard around the world, Supply Chain Now
1: spotlights the best in all things supply chain, the people, the technologies, the best practices, and the critical issues of the day. And now, here are your hosts.
0: Hey, good morning. Scott Luton and Greg White with you here on Supply Chain Now. Welcome back to today's show. Greg, how you doing?
2: I'm doing great. That's all I have to say. Let's get into this. <laughs> okay. When I hear this story. It's amazing. People should hear it right now. Absolutely. So
0: today's episode... Yeah. If you'll afford me the opportunity to tee things up just a little bit further, because this okay. is one of our favorite series. It's one of the series we get the most feedback around. It's our Logistics with Purpose series powered by our dear friends over at Vector Global Logistics. And we truly do spotlight leaders, organizations that are on a noble mission, changing the world in some way, shape, or form. In today's episode, we're going to be continuing that trend. We've got a great story teed up, so stay tuned as we look to increase your supply chain leadership IQ. One final programming note, Greg, if folks enjoy this episode,
2: where would you direct them to go? I don't know, the beach. Try SupplyChainNowRadio.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Or YouTube. And subscribe so you don't miss a single thing,
0: including conversations like this, where we're gonna be featuring, let's go ahead and introduce our first off, our third co-host here today, the one and only Enrique Alvarez, Managing Director with Vector Global Logistics. Enrique, how you doing?
1: Hey guys, how are you doing? I'm great. Thank you very much for asking. It's, it's always, always fun to uh, hang out with you and catch up, even this virtual world that we we'll live in. I'm excited. I mean, it's going to be a really good show. We have an yeah. incredible guest and, and with really, really good news that he's probably going to share with us at some point. So happy to be here and thanks for having me.
0: You bet. We really appreciate what y'all do. Deeds not words. You know that's one of our favorite uh, mantras that we we try to live back here. I uh, live by here at Sapache now, and you and Vector are uh, really sterling examples of that. And and you know, Greg, what what we love besides the story we're about to hear, we love the fact that our featured guest is a repeat guest. Yeah. So first
1: one we've we, had. He's, he's a first repeat guest. Yep.
0: So breaking records here, first repeat guest on the Logistics with Purpose series. We are featuring today Pat Plonsky, PhD, the Executive Director with Books for Africa. Pat, good afternoon. How you doing?
3: I'm doing great. Thanks, guys.
0: Yeah. glad well, to be- welcome aboard. Hey, Pat. Nice to see you. During your first appearance with us, Pat, it was over. It was it was uh, several months back. We really got a lot of feedback around folks that weren't real familiar with, with the mission and, and, yeah. and what you do. So we'll talk about that momentarily and this big piece of news you got. But Greg, we really want to kind of dive into Pat's story a little bit first,
2: right? Well, because there aren't a lot of people, and also, Pat, because you're the new guy at Books for Africa, maybe you can <laughs> tell us a little, bit, <laughs> a little bit about your time and your role there.
3: Yeah, well, I, thank you for that. I've been here, yeah, 17 and a half years. That's relatively new. Books for Africa has been around 32 years, so I can't take credit for everything. We all stand on the shoulders of giants, you know. For better or worse, I've been here a while and hopefully hopefully not stuck in my ways because in the logistics world, in the international development world, things change and they can change fast. So you have to know when to rely, I think, upon things that are tried and true that you've been doing since the beginning, your basic mission, and I think you also have to know hey, things are changing, we need to change with it. And that very often involves logistical changes to do things more efficiently, to do things better, to, to ex- extend your impact.
2: Well, I'm not pitching, but you're working with the right people to do that with Enrique and his team, and I'm sure you know that. So tell us, you got, a, you got a shiny new office or you're working on one now, as, uh, but tell us a little bit about uh, what is a day in the life now Of Patrick.
3: Well, you know. Gotta be different. Right. Just, you know, like everyone else, so many of our staff are officing from home, so, you know, you you get to see my home office here, which is in the process of transitioning into an office, and so we're sort of, when I go into my regular office, I see there's less and less stuff there. There's always, my colleagues have removed computers and tables, and it's like, wait, this place is Uh, starting to to look empty. So uh, as we all go to our home offices, you know, who knows how long we're going to be here home officing. We do still have our warehouses in both Minnesota and Atlanta that are fully functional. And those are are staying the same, although everyone there is using uh, masks and, and, you know, using uh, protocols for protection. Um, And there's volunteers in those warehouses than there were previously. So, you know, I think we all have to change with the times and, you know, you have to stay nimble in this business or you, you will get left behind. So tell us a little
2: bit about how, you know, who you interact with or maybe formerly interacted with. I know there are people who still see people face to face, but yeah, tell us a little bit about some of the interactions and I think people principally get what Books for Africa is about, but maybe a little bit more about your mission sure. and how you execute it would be helpful for folks. As, sure. I, as a wise man once said, people can't donate if they don't yeah. know you exist. <laughs>
3: <So>. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. No one ever donated anything to any organization if they didn't know it existed. Right. Official actions when I came to Books for Africa 17 and a half years ago is uh, they told me, well, you know, Books for Africa is the world's largest shipper of books to Africa, and we had sent 8 million books at that point, and I said, is that really? And they said, well, yeah, we have to be. There's no one else doing this, and I <laughs> said, well, that's what we lead with every right. time. It, it, you know, if we're the biggest shipper of books to Africa, then then we go with that, and so we do, and um, in, in the last uh, 17, 18 years, we've picked up every single country in Africa, so Books for Africa is the world's largest shipper of books to Africa. We've sent almost 50 million books, and we've shipped to every single country in Africa. And uh, we've been doing it for 32 years. So what's a day in the life look like for that? Well, COVID notwithstanding, you know, we're communicating and connecting with people all over the United States, all over the world. Sometimes the money for a project to ship books to Africa will come out of, let's say, London. Uh, the coordinator might be in California, and, of course, the recipient is in Africa. That's a very common thing where you have the, uh, one person coordinating a project to send a container of 20 tons of books, but the money is coming from somewhere else, and, of course, the recipients are in Africa. And so, you know, we sort of figured out how to work um, just using communications technologies, basically the Internet emailing people, email chains, things of that nature. People though like to connect in person and so that's always helpful in terms of raising money, establishing connections and contacts. So it does, this job does require going to Africa, going to where the donors are uh, and going to where the, you know, meeting with the right people who are putting together these projects. A little bit challenging to do that in this COVID environment. So we're trying to cope. Uh, um, I think it, it, it's while communications technologies are good and helpful, there's no substitute for face-to-face. So I'm looking forward to the opportunity to you know, meet people face-to-face, whether it be in Africa, whether it be in our events, fundraising events, conferences. You know, I usually a couple times a year go to Washington, meet with African ambassadors, you know, meet with large-scale partners, maybe US, USAID, the U.S. government, things like that. Wow. To use the technical term, I, I think we're clunking along as best we can. Right. Uh, that's kind of how I view it. But my, my view has always been the same. We want to live to ship books another day. And so we are shipping. We're not shipping as much as we used to because of the impacts with COVID and impacts on fundraising and partnerships and the ability of recipients in Africa or inability to receive books. But we are still up and rolling and uh, kind of like a lot of those restaurants that are, that are closing uh, and may not reopen, you know, I, I don't want that to be me. I want to keep us going. We, we wait until next year, hopefully, when things are better. Mm. You know, the,
0: going back to the, um, the interpersonal meetings, as um, you know, I think back in my manufacturing days when we were solving some complex problems or had some disagreements or, um, you know, all the all the issues that come up when you're when you're taking care of business, a lot of them via phone and email. And then the complex issues, we really wanted to to get something done, grabbing people around a table and, and getting through some of those most complicated multi party challenges. And that that was like that's some of the secret sauce in the industry. And as for as many great stories that we hear of companies adapting with the times and going, you know, working from remote and adapting technology, lots of good stories there. But at the end of the day, uh, you know, when I met Enrique just a week or two ago, Greg, and and we were kind of repositioning the studio stuff and, and we're used to seeing an office full of folks and, and having those right. little small conversations and grabbing a cheeseburger at, at station side, you know, the kind of the touches between the touches that really power relationships we're really missing that right now so pat and some of your answer there i heard some of that and and um you know we're, we want to help as much as as we can to as you put it live to ship books another day because we're all missing out on those little daily or weekly interactions
1: well and the and the the truth of the matter is that there's Kids at the other end, right so there's right. always a recipient in Africa waiting for this book, so I think that's something that we have to always keep in mind as as we work with organizations like patrick's it's there's just no other way of doing it right it has to has, it has to get done uh for, for not only the sake of uh the uh, organization here in the u s but the sake of all those uh people that they're helping so it's yes, yeah, definitely whether you, Patrick or not
0: and we you know that's a big theme we've heard in this series logistics with purpose series is that the mission the need never changes i mean right. we might be in this pandemic environment and, and you know, all the change that, that brings but the need on these noble missions greg that that does not change right
2: you know as enrique said people still want to read right and i know that people want want to donate either money or books or or whatever. It's just the logistics of it are extremely dis- difficult in this time.
1: Yeah, especially yeah, especially for schools and, and children trying to learn. And th- there's been a lot of changes, and there's a lot of people that are trying to adapt. But I feel like schools, in particular, are, are one of the the more impacted. And so uh, anything that we can do to continue helping education all over the world, but in this particular case in Africa, I think that's something that should be priority for, for, for everyone. So,
2: yeah. So I think that's, a, I mean, I think that's a really good point, Patrick. Maybe you can tell us a little bit about how things have changed from a, from a donations and from a logistics standpoint. What have you seen as the biggest impact?
3: You know, as, as, as Enrique just said, schooling is so important. Education so important at all levels, all, all across the world. And so, you know, we think like now a lot of kids are going back to school and they're having challenges. There's difficulties that they're experiencing. You know, this is the richest country in the world. And, and it's like, well, how are we going to do this? You know, they can't get together. Can we do it online? Will that be successful? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Well, you know, here we're, we're the richest country in the world. Having those challenges, imagine a continent of Africa where there's less resources but exactly the same sorts of challenges with COVID mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, even less resources, whether it be books or whether it be computers or, or, you know, cell phones, there's just, there's less of everything. And so, you know, we think of our challenges here, imagine in the developing world uh, uh, how much worse it is. It's just unimaginable. And so the needs are always greater in the poor, where things are poorer. That's just, uh, that's a given. In terms of uh, what we've experienced here with COVID, you know, some of it is just issues like getting things cleared from port. So I think we can get books palletized and load it onto a container, a 40-foot sea container. Get that put onto a, a truck and get that uh, moved to uh, Savannah or Charleston and get it on a on a Mayers ship, let's say, and get it moving across the ocean to Africa. I think a lot of our challenges are, well, okay, is there anybody will the port be open to receive it in a COVID environment? Will the agent of our recipient be able to go there and be available? Will you know, when the emails were sent, were if the person who's supposed to receive it is ill, do they even know that the container is arriving? All of those sorts of challenges that are, are so important. You know, when a container hits the hits the port, uh, things have to move fast or else uh, the bills pile up fast. So right. uh, some of those challenges, uh, the ports have been open, but sometimes the folks who are there to, to receive the books are not available. We've had a large project uh, that we were working on in Ethiopia that uh, closed up. So we were about halfway through that contract. So there's about eight containers of children's books that are going under that. And it was, you know, because of money issues um, related to COVID. So, you know, all of those sorts of things are out there. You know, again, we just uh, have to keep powering through it and find workarounds and, and make it happen.
0: You touched on a lot of the logistics behind uh, the operation, uh, Pat, and I'd love to have Enrique weigh in on uh, some additional perspective there because, Enrique, I know that uh, you are involved in a lot of things going to Africa, to South America, and all the the international expertise you've got to know, to Pat's point, to move things fast so it doesn't sit there uh, in port. So speak a little more to to some of the magic behind the logistics.
1: It's more – relationship-driven. We all know that logistics is a very relationship-driven industry. And so it really is about you're as strong as your weakest partner, basically. And, and I know that's a cliche sometimes, but that that is true. And it just became even more evident now With we had coronavirus, especially in uh, regions of the world, like Africa, where some of these things are still happening in person. Like uh, here, you can probably telex release and you can actually accept certain emails, but but there you have to still kind of get the physical documents in certain countries, and, and someone has to take those documents and take them to the port and get that specific stamp that clears the documents. So it's it just brought like a completely different level of complexity if you actually take those human interactions out of the equation, you're like, well, then how how are we going to get those stamps? I mean, someone has to be there and stamp it. So it's, it it got more interesting and challenging and and fun. And I think that just the, the answer to your question is like, well, how do you do that? It's, 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 it's really always been the same answer, right? Just just partner with a strong team, uh, good people, strong partners, and, and you're as strong as, as your team is. And, and, and that's where the culture plays a big deal and that's way, that's where the the, the strategy behind uh, the companies is so important. I think it's just more evident now when, when things are not as, as easy as they were before, which which is kinda like funny because they have never been <laughs> that easy when it comes to logistics or shipping into Africa, but now they're even a bit more challenging.
2: Yep. I think Pat used the term clunky. Yep. And I mean I think that's a good Yep. Definition of logistics in the best of times, right? And then you have spotty lack of availability of people or of assets or of facilities, and, and in some cases, maybe even recipients, as, as you were just talking about, Pat. And you, you combine all those in any kind of mix at a particular time, and it, it yep. creates a lot of difficulty,
3: no doubt. Yep. Absolutely. You know, and, and here's the thing, you know, an international, I, I like this program's name, Logistics with a Purpose, because, you know, a lot of times people think international development is all about something, and that's something, you know, speaking with people and, and, and you know, fundraising or, or those, those things that you think of when you think of, of international development. But a lot of international development, what I found in my 17 and a half years is just doing the little things, what I would call the nuts and the bolts, and doing it well. And so that is something like, can you move cargo from Atlanta, Georgia to, to across Ghana efficiently? And what is the most efficient way to do it? Can you, can you uh, establish a scalable model? Can you, how do you collect books from all over North America, get them into a warehouse, get them sorted, and, and ship them? and be able to have the predictability of what that price is going to be, so that at the end of the day, you were able to pay your bills across the the spectrum. Those, that's really international development. That would be the same with uh, something like, uh, you know, if you're distributing uh, soft drinks or or if you're, you know, shipping soybeans or something like that, those basic logistical issues of moving uh, something from point A to point B Collecting it, having the predictability and what the product is—in our case, the product is books—and having the recipients know what that is and and receive it in a in a way uh, that works for them in terms of, of meeting expectations. A lot—that's really a lot of what international development is, and it's not what people normally think of. They, they think of something completely different, and those other things are important. Yeah, you have to meet with ambassadors. You have to make sure whatever you know there's there's language issues and there's uh, all kinds of things uh, right. you know working with cultures and and respecting cultures all very important but even more important and probably I'm going to say 75% of the job is the basic nuts and bolts of running an organization and that would be the same with any organization And and the logistics element of being able to ship internationally and how do you get it done well You know, what I quickly found out is a freight forwarder and a good freight forwarder is very important. And outsourcing in general is important, not just with a freight forwarder, but different elements where, you know, if we can outsource, uh, you know, fundraising, if we can outsource communications tools, if we can tap into some of the same uh, things like YouTube or, or Facebook, where everyone is working on those platforms we can do the same thing they're doing. The only difference is we're working in international development and, you know, other people are doing their thing. Mm. And so I think just basic organizational parameters and, or, and just organizing it efficiently, cheaply and predictably is really what determines whether you live to ship books another day or not.
0: Mm. (laughs) So much there that you just shared, Pat and Greg, I bet, somewhat he shared makes you think of the same quote that it makes me think of from uh, Dominic Zwinkels you yep. want to
2: share it <laughs> no product no program right? right and another you know another person moving goods in Africa for philanthropy as well so and we, and you know the complexities of Africa are substantial not the least of which being logistical there are so many governments and there are so many factions even within the governments and the stability of the governments is in question in some countries and things like that, that just complicates it even further. So I'm curious because you talked about the delivery of these books and somehow I think I had imagined you just, op- you just throw open the doors on the container and kids or people come up and grab books. But I met at- it has to be more organized than that because they're not all kids books, right? And there are different reading levels and there are, pre-reading levels and there are sophisticated and you know and thoughtful and scientific books in this as well so just out of curiosity for a a layperson how do you organize a shipment like
3: that yeah well again I started 17 and a half years ago and and the way it worked is whatever what came in the door is what went out the door and as books were donated and came in they were boxed they were palletized and when you hit 20 Pallets or whatever, you'd call the truck and you'd send it, and and you send it to the next person on the list. And so I I looked at that and I said, well, now wait, does this make sense? Like if we were selling shoes, wouldn't we? Right, <laughs> that's a good example. You don't sell just,
2: size, You so, don't send a painter a sizes, size twelve to the pigment. And I was right? quickly
3: rem- Yeah, I was reminded. Well, we're not selling shoes. And I said, well, okay, I I, I know we're not selling shoes, but it's the same principle. That the customer has to get what they want and to the the extent that we can provide them with what they want, they will be more excited about it and we'll get more people who will fund the delivery. Again, that was one of the basic things when I came into the organization that we changed was we made it more predictable. And we sort of looked at it from, you know, how do we take the strengths of the for-profit model um, the for-profit model is, you know, the customer is right. You give the customer what they want. You give them predictability to the extent that we can do that. And we also went volume. You know, we were sort of running it like a cottage industry in a, a donated warehouse space, which was comparable to a church basement. Uh, nothing against church basements. I've spent a lot of time there. It was really small. And, and in this case, everything went up and down this ancient freight elevator. And finally, it dawned on me that this donated warehouse was costing us a lot of money because it was limiting capacity. So we rented a a larger warehouse facility and we increased volume and by increasing our capacity we were able to lower price and send more books to Africa to more people and increase the different types of books so that, yeah, so that if, if you're a university you get university books and you can decide if you want business, you know, how many of those books should be business books versus geography books and whatever. Mm-hmm. But then we also needed to know when to say when because sometimes, you know, there are things that the customer or the recipient will ask for, but they're not going to pay any more for it. And it's like, well, can we provide that if there's additional costs to provide, let's say, book with selection by title? And what we found is everyone would ask for books with selection by title, but nobody wanted to actually select the titles and no one would pay more for it. So as a result, We only do that for certain recipients who are willing to do that. So that's kind of where the business model comes in. You just have to be aware of that. You know, what are the things that you can provide? I once said to a partner, there's things we can do, there's things we can't do, there's things that we can do, but there will be an additional cost to it. That that still holds true today.
0: Value add. Value add. Versus yeah. non-value added. I love how you describe that, Pat. All right. So before we, Enrique is going to walk us through some really big news, and and yeah. and have Pat share some really big news. But just prior to that, going back to kind of uh, Pat was talking about using a freight, uh, an expert in moving freight internationally, and Enrique, it reminded me of the story on a previous episode from one of the great coffee companies that we brought on. And the gentleman was bringing, was making one of his first big shipments and bringing it up from South America and it landed in the port and in Florida, wherever that was. And he was not using any assistance. And so his, he expected the price to be here and be able to just, just kind of pop in and pick it up. But all of a sudden he had big problems and the, and the price went way up and, and, and he, he remarked that it was the most expensive bag of coffee beans he'd ever brought on. So because he had what we all have, which is this, this blind spot, right? But I love these stories because it really, whether we're talking, you know, Pat used the example of the shoes or there's certain things or the clunky definition. It really paints a perfect visual of, of some of the gaps we have as business leaders. All right. So Enrique. The honors uh, are all yours, and Pat, so walk us through this big announcement.
1: I'll definitely let Patrick make the honors, but uh, but before that, I just want to say that uh, what Patrick was saying before and just the fact that Books for Africa has shipped to every single country in Africa, it's just something that he just mentioned it very casually, but it is incredibly hard to do, and, and people that know logistics and that have listened to your show, Scott and Greg, they must know that it's just a... It's just a, a an incredible milestone in itself, and you were also talking about the books and uh, the met, the metric for success for you is is, is is books. How many books are you shipping for Africa? But I just that you mention it, and it's really hard, probably, to measure the impact those books are having on on the kids and the people at the other end. But just some of the changes that you've mentioned uh, on this episode are incredible. If you could measure the impact which is at the end of the day what you're going after because i'm sure that you're just not going after shipping books for the sake of shipping books but you actually want those books to be read and and you want those books to teach something and you want that teachings or those learnings to impact the community and the countries and the the world in general i i I think that's incredibly incredibly exciting and 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 it's humbled so i would been working with Books for Africa, Patrick and his team for many years now. We have learned a lot of things and as, as you guys clearly saw in the last two minutes, not only about logistics, but how to run a business, how to manage people, right. how to... So uh, so I just want to thank you, Patrick, for, for that. I, I know that you have an amazing team and, and it's the reflection of a great leader and Erin uh, and Brad and Carol and Rachel at the time and Jeremy and Travis. I mean, I just... You just have a really, really good team, and I'm sure it's because of you. And I'm really proud and, and happy that we're helping you and your cause. And, and there's a big, big milestone coming up, and, and so I'll let you tell everyone what it is. So I don't spoil the surprise. Spoil the surprise, but uh, thank you once again for for doing what you're doing. You're really providing a lot more than just books. Your leadership and example of your team—it's really, it's really a, a bigger impact for sure.
3: Thank you, Enrique. Yeah, we're, we're, you know, uh, Vector Global Logistics is our premier freight forwarder. Uh, they haul the vast, vast majority of our freight to Africa and have done so for many years. So we appreciate that. Uh, before we worked with Vector, we used to switch freight forwarders every few years. And uh, what I discovered is, um, gosh, it's sure a lot easier when you keep working with someone who knows <laughs> and, and will work with you. And so we appreciate that. And so uh, I don't know how many millions of books Vector has hauled on our behalf. I'm, I'm going to say it's got to be in excess of 10 million books uh, that they've hauled uh, for us. So we appreciate that. The, you know, we're very excited because we've been shipping books to Africa for 32 years and, and high quality books that, uh, you know, I like to say, hopefully we don't want to just send junk. We don't want to send things that are laying around, we want to send high quality books. So we actually recycle probably 30% of what comes in the door because it's not useful in Africa. And we do a lot of surveying of recipients. In fact, if you go to our website right now, uh, we just loaded up a new story on booksforafrica.org about a library, one single library in a community in Ethiopia called NEGIL. Over the course of the last seven years, there have been hundreds of thousands of people that have used that library. And so it's just amazing, you know, the impacts of restocking one library because they actually measured the number of people that are coming in the door, male, female, you know, the types of books they want and everything. And so that's just one library in one country on one whole continent. So the impacts are enormous and and, uh, just even for one library. But what we're very excited about is that over the course of 32 years, what we've done is – we have sent about 48 and a half million books. And uh, by the end of the year, we're going to send our 50 millionth book. And uh, it were, you know, yeah, but 17 and a half years ago, we had reached about 8 million books and that was a lot. Now we're creeping up on 50 million books over the course of 32 years. So by the end of the year, we're going to do that. That book is going to go to Ghana and it's going to leave later this year. It's going – we're working with the, uh, Ghana's ambassador to the United States to designate the recipients for those books. And Vector Global Logistics will be hauling that container again. And they're very close to Ghana and do a great job in Ghana. So we appreciate their help on that. Yeah, that book is actually – that the $50 million book has been designated. And just yesterday, our founder, Tom Worth, carried that book from the Minnesota State Capitol several miles to our warehouse – st paul minnesota so it's now there and it will get boxed and it will get sent in a truck to atlanta think of all the logistical steps it'll get processed in atlanta and it'll get loaded into into a box that box will be loaded into pallets those pallets will get loaded into a 40-foot sea container they'll get trucked to savannah a ship will pick them up that container and it will go to accra ghana or one my my very smart logistical friends always Correct me, it's not a cry. it's one. It's like, yes, 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 I know. <laughs> and so then it'll go uh, and be distributed in one of our recipients as designated by Ghana's ambassador to the United States. And that'll be the 50 millionth book. And we're very excited about that milestone. When, when Books for Africa was created, its theme was to end the African book famine. I don't think hardly a single book had been sent when that, sort of that tagline had been established. So our founder thought very big from the very beginning. And so uh, we've sent 50 million books or will shortly, but there's something like, you know, 600 million children in Africa. So the, the needs are great for the future. So 50 million is great, but there's still a lot of kids who need books and adults too. And over the course of 32 years, books, uh, you know, they don't last. They need to be re- replaced. And so even places that have gotten books need new books. We're now in the business of providing other things, uh, digital content as well, computers, laptops, hard desktops, and also tablets. Um, so so Pat, wow. it, Can you yeah. speak a
0: little bit more? So, you know, one of the things that, that we're looking to spotlight a lot more, especially since we're, you know, it's tough to really understand it until you experience it, I think, uh, as a human and of course, with the lockdowns here in the states and a lot of the remote lear- remote working, but also remote learning, I think one of the big topics that's gotten my attention, at least, is the need for access the, the need for uh, access to technology yep. everywhere. Right? Of course, we, we've heard a lot here in the states about uh, Wi-Fi access for years, especially as you go from 3G to 4G and 4G to 5G, and and some of the earlier uh, archaic technology eventually. Is being used, and some folks are still using that technology. But when I hear things like you know laptops and and some of some of the, the computer equipment that you need in this day and age, not just to learn, but but in some cases uh, to survive, can you speak to the need for technology and access for technology in, in in the scope of what you do?
3: In addition to the 50 million or almost 50 million books that we have sent, we've also sent about 3 million digital books, and those digital books, as I said, they're on they're loaded onto the hard drives of laptops or desktops or tablets. Mm -hmm. And we are seeking to increase our offerings there. We're working a lot with World Reader, which is the premier provider of digital content in the developing world. And actually, we're working with them in Ghana on a project. And I I always believe uh, in giving the people what they want. And so if people want hard copy books, and a lot of people still do, both in the United States and in developing world, we provide them with hard copy books. But I think we also need to have other offerings. If we, can, if we can, if we can add value, we should do that. And so we do think we can add value by providing computers and tablets and providing the digital content that goes with it. We're not a technology company per se, but to the extent that we can add value and do that in a cost-effective way, We want to do that, and we have been doing that. So the interesting thing is, even here in the United States, the richest country in the world, 80% of the books that are read are still read in traditional hard copy format. If that's what the people in the richest country in the world are doing, that's what people in poorer countries are doing as well. Uh, I think the difference is, you know, smartphones are used a lot for maybe just-in-time information, news articles, or, or short reading short items, Kindles and e-readers are coming more into prevalence, but still a lot of, a lot of people want hard copy books too. So, you know, this is where the, the market decides. I, I believe the market determines, you know, in, in international development, you know, you ignore market conditions at your peril. You, if you're running a nonprofit, whether it be domestic or international, and you're blind to market conditions, you are going to be in trouble. So, we do look at the market conditions. What is the demand for books? Uh, what is the demand for books in different categories? What is the demand for technology? Can we provide technology in addition to what we're doing? Those are all the questions you know I've been asking that question for about fifteen plus years because you know we thought, well, when the ebook comes out, that's the end of the road, but it hasn't proven to be the case, and so we'll we'll keep providing hard copy books as long as they're useful, but also seeking to add value through digital content to the extent we can. Yeah,
0: it hasn't quite been the CD eliminating the, the cassette tape, right? Folks still love getting a hard copy and, and, and consuming it. All right, so Greg, I know we're cu- also curious about a couple other uh, initiatives that Books for Africa
2: is involved with. Well, we talked a lot about the demand for books and your desire and goal, and I think it's an, it's a noble one to meet the demands or requests or requirements of your uh, recipient base. And I know you, one of the, or a couple of the topics you've been working on are agriculture and uh, girls empowerment. So can you tell us a little bit about those programs? And, and I think that's a great opportunity to talk about how you focused some of uh, your initiative.
3: Those sorts of initiatives, what we sort of asked ourselves a number of years ago, is how do we do some add-ons? You know, what would enhance a shipment of books? And so computers uh, were one way to enhance it. Law libraries were another way. We work and get a lot of law books from Thomson Reuters and created this law initiative. I grew up on a farm here in southern Minnesota, and so I had some background with agriculture, and and agriculture is big business in Africa. And so we created this Agricultural and Natural Resources Initiative, which provides uh, books in those categories. Those are sort of like an Encyclopedia Britannica, except they're Agricultural and Natural Resources books. We purchased them brand new because they had to be about tropical and subtropical agricultural topics. Also a number of vocational topics, things like wiring and construction trades and things like that. Sort of traditionally in the education world, they, they are along with agriculture and natural resources. So we sort of created an initiative there and you know we, we purchase those books and then we provide them for anyone who can uh, who wants it and can provide reimbursement on those costs. So we just sent two of those yesterday. It was either today or yesterday. I have to uh, we sent today to the Gambia and yesterday to Ethiopia. We sent a law library today to the Gambia. And um, I think it was yesterday, two of those agriculture libraries went to Ethiopia. Again, demand-driven. If you don't want it, don't take it. If you do want it and you can get a little extra money, it's available. I think to provide some opportunity for people to make decisions is, is a good way to, to gauge demand. And if there's, you know, some of the things we provided just weren't in demand. We did have an initiative with tablets we were providing, I think, uh, 50 or 100 tablets, and the cost was $5,000 and didn't have a lot of takers on that. You know, that was too much money. But providing one or two computers, we do that very often, or 10 computers, that kind of thing. So again, supply and demand, providing offerings, seeing what people want, seeing it, can they afford to pay for that or not. Books for Africa is not the only organization that ships books to Africa the thing is, a number of organizations used to do this, and they went bankrupt. They couldn't do it. They couldn't keep the ball rolling, and I think about that a lot. Some of those partners provided fabulous product, but the problem was there wasn't anyone who was willing to pay for it, or their their suppliers uh, were not able to c- keep them going, or or the supply dried up, and so sometimes the question isn't, are you providing the very best product out there? The question is, are you providing a good product that people are willing to pay for that has value with the recipients? And that's what I've learned in my years at Books for Africa. You know, can we add value? Will people be willing to pay the costs? And if the answer is yes, you, you can hit 50 million bucks. If the answer is no, you're a footnote in the history of
0: international development. <laughs> Give them the people what they want while building a successful and sustainable business model. And there's so much there you shared, Patrick. We're going to have to bring you back. It seems like Greg and Enrique, we could gain a business degree from uh, hearing Patrick's story yes. and his experiences for the last 17 and a half years, especially if you think about how the market, how everything has shifted and evolved in the last seven, much less the last 17 years. Fascinating stuff. Before we talk, you know, start to wind down, start to ask Patrick about what's next for Books for Africa, Enrique and Greg we we've heard a lot around what has enabled the organization to hit be able to be in position to hit 50 million and keep on going some of these some of these specialized programs giving folks what what they want and and the notion of uh, you know like agriculture you're shipping and you are really that old proverb you know teaching folks to fish rather than providing fish i mean it's so far reaching and with massive ripple effects. But those are some of my initial takeaways. Greg or Enrique, what else did you hear based on what Patrick shared that really stands out to you?
2: One is that when your best prospect is to break even, I had not thought of it this way. You really have to be a finely tuned machine. If you do your very best as a nonprofit, you break even. That's as good as it gets. So that forces the amount of focus that I think Pat brought when he came. And, and, and I mean, I'm not asking you to answer this question, but it, it does make me wonder, how do you survive 15 years or 14 and a half before Pat gets there without that level of discipline? And how do you instill that? I mean, I think that's a, both of those are huge accomplishments. And the, and the other is, it is just commerce somebody is paying for it, right? I, I guess I never thought about the fact that the receiving library or whomever has to pay for these books because Pat and and his organization had to pay to ship them there. You know, it's not like a bunch of money comes in, books go in a box, and they get dumped on the street somewhere, right? right. Uh, it's it's way, way more complex than that. You know, I think when we start to think about these kind of organizations as real commerce organizations that they don't look so different from someone who's sending books to a books to a bookstore for profit. Um, and we've already learned here that the that the logistics are every bit as complex and the stakes are every bit as high, if not higher, again, because the best you can do is break even. So it, it's a really impressive organization and a, a really impressive management style to get you over a monumental task i'm i'm simply impressed with how quickly you did that math 17 and a half years and, 14 <laughs> and a half
0: years so greg yeah. you don't miss a beat man i love that but but you're you're right you, you got to run uh, a very tight savvy ship in order to do all that books for africa is doing and that was just some of what you shared there greg enrique what what else you know what else are you hearing here that really is going to stick out once we wrap up this interview
1: yeah, no, so I, I, I've had the pleasure of uh, meeting and working with Patrick and his team for a couple of years, and uh, one of the things that he mentioned that, that really uh, is, is is admirable is just you pay attention, you listen to, to the end users, you listen to the people that are actually receiving the product, but then it's just such a, a interesting way because you're, you're being – 100% em- empathic and listening, but you don't give them what they want either. So you're just a, it's a very it's a very good balance between like, listen, this has to be run as a business because if we don't run it as a business, it's not going to be sustainable. And what good does it make if we go under? So I think to Greg's point, I, I think Patrick, you and your team do a really, really good job in listening and, and coming up with new ideas and being creative and being open to the digital and, and new programs and plans. But at the same time, you're like, well, Yes, but here's the line. You might say that you want this, but you really don't want it. You're just going to think you want it. This is what I think could probably be better and more impactful. And, And again, just for me, the fact that you have guys have shipped to every single country in africa right. it's just how many companies can say that i, mean, I don't think i don't think there're that they, many uh, and there's some countries in africa that it's just unbelievable that you are able to ship anything into yeah uh, so it's it's a really good milestone
3: <laughs> another cliche is is voting with your feet if somebody really wants books they have to either get the money or you know sometimes they are engaged in fundraising and and we do have fundraisers who help people out you know sometimes we can send a container for free uh, or send them a two for one or something like that. But there has to be demand. And I I always say people vote with their feet. And so if books for Africa were not providing value to the African continent, it would not have survived 32 years and been able to ship 50 million books. The jig would have been up long ago and somebody would have said, Hey, this is junk. This stuff's no good at all.
2: Mm -hmm.
3: Uh, And that would have been it. You know, twenty eight years ago. So, you know, you have to add value and, and people are smart. People will vote with their feet. They'll they'll know if it's good or not. And so that's that's the thing is you have to you know, you can't be all things to all people, but you have to know if you're adding value or not and at what price and how, how he can provide it.
0: Yes, they'll know and then they'll let you know mm-hmm. in, this, in, yep. in the uh, year
3: 2020. Okay, I, so I, I, one more quick story I, I had a guy who was criticizing us he was a he was a, a I think an Oxford scholar he, he, he had wrote a book and he calls me and says I'm gonna release this book and it basically says you guys are doing horrible work you know really what you should be doing is working to eradicate guinea worm that would be much more effective and so he, he called me to tell me that <laughs> he, had, he had done this and and so I of course said well wait and I wrote a letter to the editor when his book was got rave reviews in London, I said, well, isn't it interesting? This guy wrote a book to say that books are no good in Africa, but he thought that they were good enough in the West that he could criticize us. That was number one. And number two, I agree we should eradicate guinea worm, but that doesn't mean that we shouldn't send books. So sometimes in this business, there's a lot of people who are going to tell you you're no good and you shouldn't be doing this and you're doing the wrong Mm -hmm. thing. And if you listen to those people, you will fold up long right at the beginning. You need to have a sense that, hey, this works. And if somebody doesn't want to work with you, we wish them the best. But if there are other people that want to work with you, you find them and and work with them. Full speed ahead. Preach it, brother. Yes. (laughs)
2: Amen.
1: Hundred right, million yeah. books in a couple more years.
2: You know, uh, the immediate thought that I had was, why did he waste all that time writing a book instead of going there to help cure guinea worm? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We we will have to we'll have to we'll have to find out. I don't know. We'll put Malcolm
0: our, our research. <laughs> yeah. t- I can't on wait it. to find out the
2: title of that book.
0: That's right. <laughs> all right, so Patrick breaking out the crystal ball and kind of looking ahead. Uh, Enrique kind of, kind of stole my thunder a little bit because I was going to ask you. What tongue firmly planted in cheek when we could expect the one hundredth millionth book to be shipped. It's always what have you done for us lately, right? I think that's everyone's mentality. But all kidding aside, I mean it's amazing what y'all do. It's amazing the constraints that you do it within. Great to reconnect with the Books for Africa story once more. So what's one thing that you can point to as as what's next for the organization, what you do?
3: Well I think we've touched on it a bit is always the digital um, you know, we don't want to provide books because that's all we have. You know, I think to the extent that we can identify things that we can provide and digital will be an obvious one, computers, tablets, maybe cell phones. If there's a way that we can add value and we can provide that and it it sort of dovetails with what we're currently doing, I think that's the great question for us. You know, because at the end of the day, books are a means to an end. If we get this fabulous book and it's in a library somewhere, that doesn't necessarily mean that anything happened. Somebody right. has to read that book. Learning has to occur. So books are a means to an end. They're not the end in and of themselves. And, and so we need to think in terms of if education is the end product, then Books for Albert is really in the education business. And books are the mechanism by which we provide that education in a very cost-effective way. And so there may be other more cost-effective ways to provide education in the future. And if we can add value by providing that, we want to explore that and and do that. Also, we do, you know, we've been ramping up over the past several years our our assessment and surveying. Uh, You know, we've actually, over the last five years, we've gotten surveys from, I think, 30 countries And the question, you know, the basic question is always the same for us. Are the books helpful? Are they increasing learning? Are they high quality? Over the last years, I'm happy to report that from those 30 countries, very high marks that people say, yeah, that that is useful. The books that we got, we liked them. They were helpful. You know, there's always something that could be improved. You send 50,000 books in a container. Somebody's going to find some that are not helpful, not useful, and wish that they hadn't gotten you know, to, to be able to always ask that question, hey, is this working for you? And then there may be other, you know, ways to ask that question. And, and as we keep asking those questions, we may find different ways. Um, so I'd love to send another 100 million books and, and not have to wait 32 years to do it. You know, unless until somebody comes up with a better idea, we'll keep shipping books in this way. I suspect market conditions are going to change, you know, in the next decade or so. And so we'll have to be nimble. Again, you ignore market conditions at your peril, and so whether you're an international nonprofit or you're you're selling shoes, you know you you have to be attuned to that. And so I think the next step for us is to stay attuned to that, to keep shipping books. And if we hit another uh, fifty million books, that would be awesome. but it's all about providing value for the recipients, advancing educational opportunity whether it be in a community library, a university, or a, or a K-12 school. So let's make sure folks
0: that are going to want to help jo- you know, jo- join in and support your efforts, let's make sure they can easily connect with you and easily find Books for Africa. So what, what's the best way to do that?
3: The easiest way is to go to our website, booksforafrica.org. We have a lot of information there. That's where you would donate. That's where you would... If you want books in Africa, that's where you would set up the communications with our team to, to start the process, to, to do an order of books. That's where a lot of information is is held. We were just ranked uh, by Charity Navigator for the top rating, ninth rating. Ninth year in a row, we got their top rating. That puts us in the top 4% of all charities in the wow. United States. So that's that sort of information. Is on our website testimonials from recipients. So we also are very active on Facebook. So look look us up on Facebook. We have a lot of pictures and you know a newspaper editor once told me pictures are good news. You know I always remember that. So there's a there's videos, there's pictures, pictures of our warehouse, pictures of recipients, video. You can also find information on Facebook. Yeah, look me up on LinkedIn too. I don't use Twitter. I use LinkedIn as my Twitter. Anyone who wants to connect with me is. Uh, I'll connect with them, and uh, uh, so those are our three main streams that we use for communication, but the best is booksforafrica.org.
0: For our listeners that may not be aware, Charity Navigator is perhaps the, the foremost vetting organization, third party, uh, a very credible third party that, that, that mm-hmm. dives into the financials and the background of all these nonprofits, and to be in the top 4% with the highest ranking, I think, what, nine years running, that is, that's remarkable. And again, it's further testimony to what you are doing at Books for Africa. So good stuff there. All right. So we have been chatting with Patrick Plonsky, PhD, Executive Director with Books for Africa. Patrick, thanks so much. And don't go anywhere. I've got a question or two for Enrique before we wrap up. But really enjoy reconnecting with you and, and your mission. And may the 100 million, made a 50 million the book get there. With uh, Murphy's Law, you just pause in this international world we live in, and may the Hunter May book just be right around the corner. So, wishing you all the best success moving forward.
3: Thanks, guys, and you know it's great to. to I feel like I'm with kindred souls—people who like to talk about logistics. Uh, uh, it's it's been fun. So, thanks for having me on your program. Yeah, Absolutely
2: thank you. inspiring.
0: Absolutely, you're you're definitely in kindred spirits here at Supply Chain Now. So thanks so much. It takes what it takes strong leaders doing what y'all do uh, to serve the folks in need globally. So I really admire that. All right, so Enrique, putting you on the hot spot for a second, really appreciate you facilitating this conversation once again in this series so that that, uh, our audience can tune in and hear Patrick's story and and, and the books for African story. A little bit of Vector Global Logistics news because you never want to talk about Vector, and I always appreciate that about you. But y'all have got a new website as y'all continue to grow and expand despite some of these challenging elements that we have here in 2020, right?
1: We do. Thank you very much for bringing that up. And uh, it's been, I guess it's been our baby, uh, literally. It's been like 11 months in the making. And uh, and we're all incredibly proud of the webpage and what we stand for and what the webpage is about. And uh, and it's really just highlighting some of these incredible organizations like Books for Africa, actually. If you guys go to our webpage, there's a, there's a big section on, on Patrick and Patrick's team and what they do. And you can get to his webpage through that as well. But no, we're just really happy it's been a challenging year nevertheless but we we continue to to focus on on the market conditions as patrick said uh, that's very important and and we'll keep we'll keep pushing
0: vectorgl.com is that right that is correct and we'll make sure we we have that and the books for africa uh yeah. link right there in the show notes to make it really easy for folks to make the connection and greg i know after all you know this this final segment there's so much, I hate to use that word unpack, but we could be unpacking some of the good stuff we heard for days. So what, you know, I'll give you the last comment before I sign off here.
2: You know, one of the biggest takeaways is, first of all, I want to say it too. Thank you, Enrique, for bringing us companies and people like Books for Africa and Pat and, and helping us understand how some of these companies are give forward kind of companies, not give back, right? Giving is their main purpose. And and we love that. And, you know, we coined that phrase on this series. So uh, we really appreciate that spirit. I think the other thing that everyone can take away from this is, as Pat said, this is a logistics lesson, right? It, It is another example of no product, no program. And it is, you know, it's a lesson in understanding how any company navigates the logistics space whether they're doing it for profit or they're or they're doing it for the good of humankind, it it that doesn't change the logistics. And um, there's you know, there's some good merchandising, retailing, commerce and logistics lessons in this episode. And and it was a bit of an awakening for me to really think about it that way. So I hope everyone else who has listened to this will get that as well, because if you didn't go back and listen again, because they're there. They are there for sure. So, such a pleasure to be part of this series and to hear this, hear
0: uh, these stories firsthand. Um, it really makes you want to double down and making sure that you know you're giving forward day in and day out. You know, uh, so I really appreciate the bar you're setting. Really, both of you, Patrick and Enrique. And Enrique, you know, the, know how committed you and your team are to really moving the bar and and give forward and doing good and changing the world. So, with that. We want to make sure folks know thanks Enrique
1: very briefly and um I mean I just want to make sure that listeners know that this is a great year for books for Africa it's a huge milestone I would encourage anyone that's listening to definitely reach out to Patrick go to their webpage and and, and be part of this 50 million books to Africa it, it's not easy right so uh I I think that it's it's one of those moments that you can probably donate more uh, and be part of this historical moment for, for that organization and, and above all for all the different for, for those fifty million books that they're shipping and will soon be shipping, the impact in readers and people being educated is probably a hundred times, a thousand times more. I know how many uh how many more times people read those books, but uh but it's a huge impact. So I just I, I just feel that and I don't want to say that people should not sit this out. They should just go out there, support the organization make an effort, uh, and be part of this. I love it. Take action. Just
3: a, a quick, sure. uh, we're having a big gl- virtual celebration of the, 20, uh, of the 50 million book on September 24th. So on our website, you can register and participate, and we welcome your donations. Of 50 cents sends a book to a child in Africa.
1: Wow. 24th, right? September 24th?
3: September 24th. We'll make sure we add that link in the show notes. Yes. Show notes is a catch-all. Yes. we got
0: to make it easy yeah. for folks, to so that one click away. So much good stuff there. I want to thank, again, uh, Pat Plonsky, PhD, Executive Director with Books for Africa. Of course, thank Enrique Alvarez, Managing Director with Vector Global Logistics, who powers this series, Logistics for Purpose. This is always an uplifting story, Greg. Really enjoy co-hosting this with you, Greg White with Supply Chain Now. And on that note, to our listeners, hey, check out supplychainradio.com for a lot more stories much like this that will challenge you to, do your, uh, to go even further day in and day out. And also, as you've heard here today, and I love Enrique's call to action, deeds, not words, take action, do good, give forward, be the change that's needed. And on that note, we'll see you next time here on Supply Chain Now. Thanks, everybody.